The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. It's good to see you today. It's a joy for me to be standing before you in our pastor's absence. And that's not an exaggeration. It really is a joy. I don't know how good it would be for you, but it's a joy for me. I don't want to sound like the woman who scolded her son for exaggerating. She said, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times not to exaggerate. Well, it's not an exaggeration. It's a joy for me. I want you to be turning with me as you take your Bibles to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, or the the believers at Ephesus, the Ephesians there at that church. And we're going to be looking at a couple of verses as our focal verses together. And these verses will be on the screen for your convenience if you do not have a copy of God's Word. This is one of those books that is incredibly, it's marvelously intensive and extensive. So much so that you can never get to the end of it. And searching out the riches that are here. Ephesians chapter 1 beginning at verse 15. Paul says, wherefore I also, and I'm reading from the King James Version. If you have a different version, that's fine. Just follow along the printed page of your Bible. He says, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, And revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I want to call your attention this morning to two verses, verses 18 and 19 of this passage. And this morning I want to address four needs in the Christian life. If you're saved, these are your greatest needs as a Christian, someone who belongs to God through Christ Jesus. I believe that these are the greatest needs in the Christian life based on what the Bible tells us. And others may disagree. And sometimes these things are so intangible that it's hard to recognize them as needs. But the four to me, the four greatest needs in the Christian life are identified for us here in verses 18 and 19 of Ephesians chapter 1. And I want want to encourage you to jot these down as we move through this passage. I want you to think your way through these with me today. Need number one in the Christian life, there is a radical need for spiritual enlightenment in the Christian life, in the life of a Christian. Everything depends upon the open eye. Now, obviously, all the beautiful scenery in the world can be right in front of you. And all the depth of color and hue can be spread to every conceivable degree and blended perfectly together. 
And it'll all be no avail whatsoever to you if you cannot see. The most important thing that can ever happen to anybody happens when God opens that person's eyes to all of a sudden that person in their inward spirit, deeper than life that they've ever known before, that they're able to see and say, yes, indeed, I see. Now, you can see a division anytime you talk about these things, and I see it every time we meet. And you may be able to see it every time that we meet. I see the person who is highly motivated anytime, every time we meet because their eyes have been previously opened and they're walking in their Christian life with their eyes wide open all the time and they simply cannot get enough of what God has for them and what he's seeking to do in their life. That's one division. That's one category of people I see. And when you begin to speak about such things as, as these that we have before us, the individual's heart is inclined to these things instantly. And that person supplies for themselves the motivation of the Spirit because they're walking in the Spirit. They're controlled by the Spirit. They're living in the Spirit. This type of person is quick and eager to take down notes. And they're eager to get in front of them what they can retain, what they can learn. They're hungry, hungry to absorb all they can get. And they're just walling what you're speaking to them about. And this type of person's eyes are wide open because they walk that way all the time in their life. And then there's a second category of people I see all the time whenever we meet in situations like this today. And this type of person comes to a service like this, say like this today, hoping that something will open their eyes. Hoping that something will be said. See, this type of person isn't walking in the Spirit. They're not living in the Spirit. They're not controlled by the Spirit. They may have had an eye-opening experience in the past. In other words, they have been saved. And their eyes have come open. But this type of person has allowed their eyes to go back shut again for whatever reason it may be. And there's only a slight bit of light that will come to them. And so they come to a service hoping against hope with very little prayer and preparation that something will be said. And the atmosphere around them will provide a special anointing of the service. And that will cause their eyes to be open again to see. And then there's a third category of people who never seem to see it all. And I don't want you to misunderstand me, and I'm not trying to be unkind. But this type of person is in church many times, Sunday after Sunday, and there just seems to be no hunger at all in their life for these things, the things of God. And their church attendance seems to be only a polite gesture toward God or a sense of duty or a hope that maybe God can accept what they're doing and the church service is a part of it and their attempt to make themselves acceptable to him. And they apparently never see. And there's a picture of what I'm talking about of this in the Old Testament in the last chapter of 2 Kings. The man's name is Zedekiah and it was a name given to him by the king of Babylon because the king of Babylon set him up as a figurehead puppet king over the southern kingdom of Judah in Jerusalem. And Babylon controlled the entire land of that time in occupation. And he set up the king of Judah, set Zedekiah up as a puppet king 
over the southern kingdom of Judah, and he reigned over the kingdom through him. And one day Zedekiah revolted against the king of Babylon, and he did that which was not only wicked in his sight, but he did that which was wicked in God's sight. And there was a revolt set up in the kingdom, and they warred against the occupying forces of Babylon, and they were squelched. And thus they began to flee and run. And as they ran, the Babylonian forces came after them. They captured them. They slew the men right in front of their king, his own sons and his own children. And when they took him, and the Bible says they put out his eyes, and they took him to Babylon. And here's what that means. He was taken into a city that was one of the wonders of the world of his day. It had miles upon miles of outstanding sights, things that the human eye would behold in awe as it beheld them for the first time. And it had hanging gardens in this city that just stretched for miles upon miles. And they were incredible in beauty according to scripture as well as outside sources. And it had a wall that was so wide that they were able to have chariot races up on the top of that wall. Three to four chariots could come abreast of each other on top of that wall. This place was one of the wonders of the world of that day. And Zedekiah came in and moved around in the middle of every bit of this and did not see any of it because he was stone blind. Now, friends, that's the way a person is born when they're born into this world. God puts the spectacles of everything that he has ever done around that person Every person born into this world, and yet the person is born blind, they cannot see, and they're like a baby born without eyesight. And here is the rule of which all of this operates. You and I can only see according to the capacity we have to see. And if we do not have the capacity for spiritual things, then here's what we'll see. You'll see with your mind. You'll see with your mind mentally. You'll see with your emotions. You'll experience things out of your emotional fiber. You'll experience things out of your feelings. You'll experience with your volition willfully. And you can make choices with regard to what you will experience in those other areas. And you'll experience through your senses, through your body. And you will not look a whole lot different from a person whose eyes are spiritually open until you get down to the core of the spirit and find out what really counts. And friend, you can be in church every Sunday experiencing with your mind and your emotions and your will and your feelings through the senses of your body. And it can be a wonderful atmosphere and it can even be a nice thing for people to believe in. But your eyes have never been open to spiritual matters. And there are countless numbers of people in our churches who are born blind, who remain blind, they die blind, and they will go to hell blind, and they'll never know the difference. They never knew what there was in Christ Jesus because they're blind. And the Bible plainly tells us that by nature our foolish hearts are darkened so that we cannot see. Folks, we see only according to our capacity to see. And this is the reason the Apostle Paul is praying almost desperately here before God that God will open their eyes or their understanding and their hearts 
And they will become illumined on the inside so that they might see, that they might really appreciate the things of God. Paul is asking that these people might have a spiritual eyeglass in their hands, the very people who were born blind and their eyes have been opened and those who can see need to see more. And so Paul puts that eyeglass up to their eyes as it were and prays that God will open their eyes that they might truly see. Spiritual enlightenment. Right, here's the second greatest need in the Christian life. According to this prayer that Paul is praying. And it's the tremendous need for spiritual encouragement. Once your eyes have been opened, you are daily, you are regularly, constantly, always in need of being encouraged. Is there anybody here this morning who feels that they did not need any degree of encouragement, say, just this past week? Anyone here who never knew a need for encouragement of any given single day of last week? Anyone here who had the privilege of a God-sent encouragement at your fingertips? Friends, we desperately need encouragement. We need it ourselves, and we need to give it to others around us. The second greatest need after enlightenment is to be encouraged toward God and what God has for you. In your life as a Christian. And here's what Paul says. I pray that you might know what is the hope of his calling. Now this right here introduces two of the biggest words in the New Testament. One is the word hope. And the other is the word calling. And unless we carefully study both of these words. It will lead to a tragic misunderstanding of what they really mean. In the New Testament a hope. A New Testament hope is not a vague wish. It's not an indefinite uncertainty. The Bible calls it a sure and steadfast hope, which means that it is guaranteed far above certainty, absolute certainty. So why does the Bible call it a hope? Simply because it's still future. And that's the only reason you would call it a hope, yet it's as guaranteed as if you'd already had it in your hands right now. The word calling, as the Bible uses it, is... Divided into two categories. There's a general call from God. And then secondly, there is a special call from God. We call it an effectual calling. And that's a biblical word. Just study the Thessalonian letters and you'll see that. So God calls and then God effectually calls. Calls which means that God blankets a call to everybody. But when the caller... If when the call ever takes effect in a person's life, it's called an effectual calling. And that rests somewhere in cooperation with the person and who hears and the call of God who gives the call. And we cannot always keep that balance intact. I'm talking about our response and I'm talking about God's part in it. There has to be a balance between those two. All right, let me give you an idea of what this means. The general calling is when the Bible says, whosoever will may come. And God is awfully serious about that, friends, and he means it. Whosoever will may come. Acts 17.30 says that God now commands all men everywhere to repent. God is awfully, awfully serious about that. He wants us to respond. He wants us to listen. He wants us to hear. 
He wants us to repent. He wants us to come to him, and he could not be more serious about anything than he is about that. But the fact is, hello, God knows that most people simply are not going to listen. He knows that most people will not hear, and, and we see it every day. We see it day in and day out, every day that we live. Some people are alive to God with their eyes wide open to his truths. And some people, the majority of people, yes, their hearts are as cold as ice. They're as hard as a stone, and they are adamant before God. And they never hear a single thing in appreciation to Jesus. They simply cannot see and God, in order to rescue anybody, has to give an effectual call. Charles Spurgeon illustrated it like this. He said, it's like a lightning storm with lightning streaking across the skies. And it's beautiful to behold. And you hear the thunder and there's the jagged lightning as it streaks across the sky. And then there comes a forked streak of lightning. This way and then another one that way. And then all of a sudden as you stand there and all, as you stand there looking at all of this, one of those forked streaks of lightning comes shooting down out of the sky and strikes something right in front of you. Well, the general call is like that lightning storm. The effectual call is like that forked streak of lightning that comes bolting down and strikes whatever is in front of you. And both of these are true. But... Is it true of you? And God is just as serious about the general call as he is about the effectual call. He desires that all come, but there has to be an effectual working of the Holy Spirit of God to open a person's eyes before they'll ever see the things of God. And again, this rests somewhere. There is a balance. It rests somewhere between cooperation between the individual and Christ Jesus. There comes to every person who is a Christian an effectual calling from God. And they are called, Romans 8, 28 says, according to his purpose. And it is indeed a high, it's a holy, it's a heavenly calling. And it comes home to the heart of every person who knows Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And this is what we need. It's the second greatest need in the Christian life. We need to know what is the hope of his calling. Now, what is... The hope of that calling. What do we look forward to? Well, what do we already have as Christians? Well, we already have the decided forgiveness of sins. Aren't you grateful for that? We have the decided forgiveness of our sins. We already have total acceptance before God in Christ Jesus. We've already been adopted into God's family with full rank, full rights as God's children each and every one of us who belongs to Christ Jesus. But there are some things, indeed many things, that are incomplete yet. So that now we have this and that, but not yet do we have that and that. So that now we have this and we have that is to come. What is that? Well, we're going to have, first of all, eternal protection. From the very hand of God, and that is still yet future. Oh, yes, indeed. We're under it right now. But we have so much that is to come. There is so much that is still future. We're going to have perfect justification when we stand before him. 
And in token, we have received it now, and we know that it is true of us. We know that we've been justified of God. We know that now. We know it's true of us. We know that it's true for us. But he's going to actually tell us when we stand before him face to face how perfect that justification really is when we stand before him. We're going to come to stand in eternal perfection. Can you imagine that? Eternal perfection where none of the disqualification that abound right now will be a problem to us. And then we're going to awaken satisfied when we awake in the likeness of Jesus Christ. When we see him, when we behold him as he is. And we'll be truly and totally perfect. We're going to experience the redemption of the body where no weakness whatsoever is going to be known. We're going to have the glorification in heaven where we can appreciate, we can enjoy to the fullest degree, the maximum degree, everything that God has planned and prepared for us there in Christ Jesus. But right now we do not have any of that. We only have the token. We only have a sample of the vital serving in our hearts because Christ resides in us as Christians. Those of us who have personally trusted him as our Lord and Savior. We're plainly told here in this passage that as Christians we need enlightenment. And in that enlightenment we stand in need of knowing what is the hope of his calling. These are things that we're looking forward to. Things that are yet to take place. And that is an, that's an, our encouragement. All right, there are two more things that we need to note. Let me just m- briefly mention them. The third thing that we need in our lives as Christians, you need this as a born again, I need this as a born again. We need spiritual enrichment. Folks, we need a sense of wealth in God, of God, from God. Look at verse 18. Paul says, God has especially set apart his people to be his inheritance. When we were saved, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, became our inheritance. And all that they offer us is based on the fact that they are our inheritance. Now that raises a very big question. What possible wealth could God see in me? What possible wealth could God see in you? What computed value could God see in you and I that would make him even want to have us? Well, God gets an inheritance in you and I by the simple yet serious fact. Just think about this. God has invested all he has into us. And that day in man's history, Jesus stepped out of eternity, became flesh, dwelt among us. God at that point bankrupted heaven for you and I. He has invested everything he has in you and I. If we know him as our personal Lord and Savior. And then he asked for you and I to give it all back to him. So that it all can be used in this life to meet someone else's awareness. And draw them to Christ Jesus. To meet someone else's awareness. So that they become God's exhibition point. And the more he builds into us, guess what? The more he gets out of us. 
more he gets out of us, the more we cooperate with him, the greater the dividend that comes to God. And it's all because of what he has put into us. That is the hope. That's the hope that's spoken of in verse 18. The riches of the glory of his inheritance. Where? In the saints. And then the fourth thing we need in our lives as Christians is spiritual empowerment. We need spiritual energizing as God's people. Look at verse 19 again. He says, The exceeding greatness of God's power to us who believe. Paul says, I know you won't understand this, so let me give you an exhibition of it. He says in verse 20, This is the power, this is the energizing power God used on Jesus after he had died to raise him from the dead and victoriously propel him up through all the enmity powers, all the satanic powers of the universe and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies. That's the power that God spent on Jesus Christ. And friends, God wants you and I to know and he wants you and I to have this power. Now listen to me carefully. If you're saved, if you've been born again, if you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you've already received this power once. Because you see, a Christian is someone who is inwardly in spirit, literally raised from the dead just like Jesus was physically raised from the dead out of that tomb. And friends, if you have not inwardly had a miracle that is resurrection in power, that's resurrection in content from God, then you've never been saved. And that means your eyes have not been opened. You can think with your mind. You can read all of this. You can try to understand with all your reasoning. And you can feel with your emotions. And you can have religious experiences. And you can make choices with your will. But unless God has raised you from the dead, you're not saved, regardless of whatever else may be true about your life. This is the same power that God spent on Jesus Christ. And he wants to spend, and he can and will spend on you when you believe him and ask him to save you. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads together with me. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed together. Now, this is just hitting the surface in the high spots but these are the four greatest needs in your life as a Christian friend if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior you have a greater need and that need is to be saved and Jesus stands ready today to save you that's the reason that he came that's the reason he rose from the dead to empower you to live for him to serve him you may be here this morning and you've never had your eyes open, your spiritual eyes. And as we said, you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We want to invite you. We want to encourage you to do that this morning. As the Holy Spirit leads you, if the Holy Spirit is leading you to say yes to Jesus, ask him to come into your heart and be your Lord and your Savior. And then come and make that public today. And then, dear Christian, how you and I need to have our eyes open more and more and more. God's revealing himself to us more and more every day. 
God is always speaking. He's always speaking. Are we listening? Are we obeying? Are our eyes being opened more and more every day? How you and I need to have our eyes open more and more to what God's seeking to show us and teach us. And how he's wanting to lead us in his paths of righteousness. May our prayer today be that of Paul's desire. That the eyes of our understanding being enlightened that we may know what is the hope of his calling. Father, today we stand in need. We are a needy people. But, Father, you have supplied every need. You've made all the gracious allowances for us. There's nothing that we can do in that great work that Christ has already accomplished for us except offer the helpless, hopeless sinner, which is ourselves, our lives. And, Father, we want to do that today, whether it's someone who's here who's doing that for the very first time. It may be those here who've already tasted that the Lord is good and the Lord is gracious. Our eyes have been opened, but for whatever reason, they've become shut again. Father, how we need to see today. Everything depends upon vision. Everything depends upon our seeing you as you really are, seeing what we need in you, what you have provided for us in Christ Jesus. And then our coming in simple faith and trust And allowing you to work in us and through us, for us, far beyond ourselves to other people that we come in contact with. Father, whatever we have need in our heart today, you can supply it. Help us just to step out in faith and trust you and say yes to Jesus and whatever it may be. Trusting you, loving you, serving you. In Christ's name, just in his name we pray together. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.